And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. That's reading from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. It's going through the first three of the Ten Commandments. One of the common arguments that people throw out against Christianity is that it isn't inclusive enough, or rather that it is exclusive and that's undesirable. That it condemns people who have other worldviews, that it teaches that salvation is only possible through one way and one way alone, and that's through the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a common argument, but is it a reasonable one? Is Christianity somehow uniquely prejudiced against other worldviews and philosophies, or are all worldviews exclusive by nature? Let's find out. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Average Apologetics Podcast, and I'm Corey, your Average Apologist. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend, were rejuvenated, and felt ready to hit the ground running this week. I personally enjoyed a nice weekend. Rain on Saturday, but a beautiful, beautiful sunny, a sunny Sunday yesterday. It, it's always such a pleasure for me to start the week on a good note, and seeing that clear blue sky... Man, that that does wonders for me. And and I think there's something pretty miraculous about how the sun, our world's source of light, is also the best source, best natural source of vitamin D. Health complications notwithstanding, of course. But, you know, getting out in the sun, it it creates a type of vitamin synthesis, the ultraviolet rays making contact with your skin. And vitamin D, you know, it's it's necessary for your body to function right. It, it, It prompts... Calcium absorption, it enables bone mineralization, promotes bone growth, it prevents muscle cramps and spasms, it reduces bodily inflammation, it has a role to play in in healthy cellular growth, I mean, the list goes on. It's just amazing what a nice sunny day can do to your mood alone, and then you think about how it improves your overall health. You know, if I didn't know any better, I I would say it it, it wasn't by accident, you know, Like, like maybe it was by design. Like, oh, I don't know, a superior intellect had had a say, just a little say, in, in just how perfectly ordered and self-sustaining our little universe really is. But of course, that would fly in the face of alternative worldviews, right? And that would refute alternative ways of thinking if that were true. Like, it would, it would refute the general consensus of the secular humanist of the, of the world, 
let's just think about this. Let's, let's just think about this. How many people do you know who have a different opinion than you about something, anything? Probably as many people as you can name, right? Probably, more than likely, everyone you know has a different opinion than you about something. Well, that's just human nature, right? We don't see perfectly eye to eye. None of us do. And, and we can't see perfectly eye to eye because we have this little problem. This little tiny itsy bitsy problem that the world as a whole does, doesn't understand what it is. But, but we, we, you know, Christians, we, we kind of have a, a little inside track on that. Because the little problem that leads to all of these little divisions, even over the silliest of things in our lives, the silliest little little feuds and disagreements, well, the little problem that causes all of that is, is called sin. Sin corrupts everything we do, everything we see, everything we touch, everything we think. It corrupts everything about us. From the decisions that we make on a daily basis, you know, what we're going to have for breakfast, what color socks we're going to wear. You don't think you don't think sin has a bearing on the color? I mean, how many times do you see someone walking in mismatched socks? I know I know some people that that, that would personally just drive up a wall. I, me, I I could care less. Could care less? Mm, no, I couldn't. But look, it it affects everything from the small things all the way up to the big questions. Our perspectives on na on the nature of the world, our perspectives on the Word of God, our world views are ultimately corrupted to some degree by the sin nature. Because we can't even strain together two thoughts without involving some level of personal bias. I've talked about personal bias before, and that's why I stress objectivity as the key to success in any of our of our pursuits whether it's in the ministry academic studies your social life taking everything every single thing as objectively as possible gives you the upper hand against whatever biases you may have and not even realize it but let's let's just take a step back what are those biases what are they well your biases they're judgments they're personal judgments that you have either made based on some form of evidence or due to some experience, but you now hold them subconsciously as truth whether or not they check out. Now, sometimes your biases may prove accurate, but it's the job of a true critical thinker to verify everything, even the preconceived notions that might get in the way of an objective analysis of any given situation. That applies whether you're studying the Bible or some other academic pursuit, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. It's a wise rule to live by if you value accuracy and reliability in the pursuit of truth. Of course, if you're not interested in truth, well, you'll just cling to your biases and you'll never find out what's true and what isn't. When it comes to this particular conflict, this conflict that, that many people will throw out there, that Christianity in particular is, is too exclusive of a worldview, either for, it to be, for them to accept it as truth or for them to just embrace it in general. 
That's just a prime example of preconceived notions and personal biases getting in the way of real thinking. There's no thinking involved in that argument. If that's your argument against Christianity, then it, you really haven't thought much about your own worldview or even what that argument itself represents. And we'll, we'll address that in a moment. But before we do, let's take a look at the exclusivity of Christianity. You may be asking yourself, especially if you if you lean more toward the, the liberal contemporary sects of Christianity. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about so-called progressive Christianity. We've talked about that on here before. And as I've explained, and as I will likely explain again in the future, that doesn't that doesn't prescribe to anything remotely Christian because it denies the deity of Christ the salvation provided through the cross, and even the fallen state of humanity. At its best, progressive Christianity, so-called progressive Christianity, is a cult of narcissism that promotes condemnable heresy in lieu of the gospel. No. The kind of liberal, contemporary Christians that I'm talking about are those who haven't quite gone so far as to reject the truth of who Jesus is, but haven't been able to reconcile the truth of who Jesus is with what they have been taught in society, popular, contemporary society, about the necessity of social conformity and tolerance. If that's you, if you're struggling to reconcile what you've been taught by popular culture and modern Western society, with the truth of Jesus as your Savior, then you might want to consider just how exclusive the one true and living God really is. In the beginning, during the creation account, when God's first divine revelatory act, the act of unveiling the light, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Wait, wait a minute. What, what did God just do? Did God just create the first objectively true and verifiable exclusivity? Look, look at what he did. God divided light. And darkness, day and night, he put up a wall of division between those two aspects of reality. He established firmly that those two are not the same. Now you may think, well, gee, gee, Corey, I think that just by using our eyes, we can tell that light and darkness aren't the same. You think? That's because it's objectively true. It's also a natural division, part of the natural created order. Well, what about the rest of creation? Dividing the waters from the waters with the firmament of heaven created in the midst, with the waters above and the waters below, then the gathering of the waters under the heaven together so that the dry land would appear. More divisions, more lines in the sand. What about the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Adam and Eve were allowed to eat the fruit of any tree in the midst of the garden except that one. That's a massive exclusion. Massive. Because the consequences were what? Because in the day that ye eat thereof, you shall surely die. God set that tree aside, that one fruit. If you, if you recall, uh, later on, after the fall, in the Genesis account, we have this, 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 this note, this little side note given where God mentions what? He mentions that it's a good thing they didn't eat of the tree of life while they were there. 
Wait, does that mean that the tree of life wasn't prohibited? Just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, what about when God began establishing the Mosaic Law? What about the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first of the ten, right? That's the epitome of exclusion. That's the pinnacle, the peak, the absolute. In the book of Daniel, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the, whose, whose names, give their given names, were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, before the prince of the eunuchs renamed them when they were taken in, to, taken in as captives, but were brought in to be wards of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, during the Babylonian captivity of the children of Israel, when they were cast into the fiery furnace for refusing to bow down to this graven image at, at the sound of all these just... It's amalgamation of musical instruments when they refused to bow down at the time of worship, but rather worship the one true and living God. King Nebuchadnezzar had them cast into the fiery furnace, and when he saw them walking loose in the fire, unharmed with the, fo the fourth man, a fourth man whom King Nebuchadnezzar said, th the form of whom looked like the Son of God, he brought them out and he made this decree. This is his decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. That's more exclusivity. That's more exclusion against the other ideologies, the other, the other theologies, and in this case, the, the pantheologies that were in the world. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in his first letter to Timothy, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. So he told Timothy what? To go forth and establish those who would stand fast in the face, excuse me, stand fast in the faith, and refute false doctrines, refute false teachings that teach another gospel, that teach another God, that teach another salvation, more exclusivity. And of course, Jesus himself said this in the gospel according to John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So, is Christianity exclusive? Absolutely. Absolutely, it is 100% exclusive. That much of the charge, that much of the, the complaint, spot on. It's true. It is. And you know what? Y you know what else? Ask yourself this. Is there any worldview that isn't exclusive? just want to take a quick moment to thank all of you listeners for your support. I appreciate you tuning in and joining us here on the Average Apologetics Podcast. If you are enjoying this content, I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends, family, blast it on social media, let other people know. Because after all, the more people hear the podcast, the more people can potentially benefit from this content.
You see, that's the fundamental nature of a worldview, that it defines itself as the truth, as the right way of thinking, as the correct perception of reality. If you don't believe me, just look at some of these other major worldviews. Take Islam, for example, which I believe is considered the world's second largest religion. In Surah 9, verse 29 of the Quran, it's written, Fight against those who believe not in Allah, nor in the last day, nor forbid that which has been forbidden by Allah and his messenger, and those who acknowledge not the religion of truth, i.e. Islam, among the people of the scripture, the Jews and the Christians, until they pay the jizya, which was the enforced taxation on those who were held essentially as indentured servants, until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. Surah 98, verse 6, Verily those who disbelieve in the religion of Islam, the Quran, and Prophet Muhammad, from all the people of the scripture, the Jews and the Christians, and al-Mushrikun will abide in the fire of hell. That's all the, uh, that, that pretty much covers everyone, right? That covers, that covers your unbelievers, that covers the people of the book, the people of the scriptures, the Jews and the Christians, but that those, you know, because they, they, they believe in what, what Islam verifies in, in, in some other places as being the word of Allah, but they're still considered the worst of all creatures. It's pretty inflammatory, wouldn't you say? It's pretty divisive, pretty exclusive. In the Hadith, Sahih Muslim, in the uh, volume 4 compilation by Imam Abdul Hussein, Muslim Ibn al-Hajjaj, it was narrated from Ibn Umar that Umar bin al-Khattab expelled the Jews and the Christians from the land of al-Hijaz. When the Messenger of Allah conquered Kaibar, he wanted to expel the Jews from it, as the land had come under the sway of Allah, his messenger, and the Muslims. Again, more exclusivity, right? More exclusive, specifically in the case of Islam, pointing out that they do not want the Jews, or the Christians, or the al-Mushrikun, the unbelievers, or the apostates, all of whom were entirely unacceptable, and to this day are entirely unacceptable in Islamic teachings and Islamic culture. So that's Islam. What about Hinduism? Hinduism is, is a fully inclusive religion, right? Isn't that how Hinduism is, is promoted? That it's, it's inclusive, it incorporates all of other gods and all other world religions, except that Hinduism does not recognize the claims of exclusivity. It also doesn't recognize established clergy. Anyone who claims to be the exclusive possessor of spiritual truth or the only method of reaching God or of reaching paradise finds no place in Hinduism. A method or the message can only be one of many in order to be accepted by Hindu believers. In fact, all Hindu believers believe in the law of karma and in reincarnation. Well, those are two very exclusive, two very exclusive tenets of the Hindu worldview. So it's it's very reasonable to conclude that Hinduism is not at all inclusive. 
because it it its very fundamental tenets are exclusive claims. Well, Judaism, Judaism is similar to Christianity, right? We share a common heritage. We already we already established that Christianity is very exclusive, and most of those references go right back in line with Judaism. Except Judaism is exclusive toward Christianity as well. After all, Judaism rejects the Christian belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. What about religious pluralism? The idea that all world religions are the same. Well, that by definition is exclusive. Now think about it. If it excludes the claims of exclusivity, including Hinduism, which we, we already addressed, it isn't actually inclusive, but is, is truly just as exclusive as everything else. Well, if pluralism excludes, if it rejects the claims of exclusivity, then it's denying worldviews. That puts it at odds. That means it is excluding those worldviews. Well, what about atheism? Did you know atheism is the world's third largest religion? I know, I know. Atheists will deny that it's part of religion, and, and well, even if that were not the case, atheists are absolute exclusionists. Atheism vehemently denies the existence of God. It is an anti-theistic worldview, which, again, by definition, excludes all theistic worldviews. So, when you really think about it, there's no such thing as an inclusive or an all-inclusive worldview. Now, you may have a worldview that incorporates multiple aspects of varying, uh, of varying religions and varying ideas and, and, and presuppositions. But by definition, again, a worldview. When you establish a worldview, you are holding a given assertion about the nature of reality that will always be contradictory to some other assertions. So the problem that people have with Christianity when claiming, well, Christianity is intolerant or exclusive, you see, that doesn't really have anything to do with the exclusivity of Christianity. It's to do with another problem that exists in the hearts and minds of those making the claim. Just consider this for a moment. If all worldviews are essentially exclusive, and someone says that exclusivity it's the exclusivity that makes Christianity unbearable. What they're really saying is that the things that Christianity excludes are the things that they prefer. They're saying that it's not the exclusivity or the exclusive nature of Christianity, but rather the things that are being excluded that they do not wish to do without. And... What does Christianity exclude? What does it shun? Well, of course, it shuns false gods and idols of other worldviews. But if that were the problem, the people making these claims would just argue that they venerate some other god. No, the, the problem isn't a reverence to some other god in particular, but to something more fundamental, more tangible, that would be ideologically excluded from their lives or their lifestyles, were they to recognize Christianity as even possibly being true? And what are the type of lifestyle choices that Christianity excludes from 
what is an acceptable, moral, upright way of life? Well, we have to be talking about a moral issue, so statistically that would make it a matter of either sex, money, or power. Now, power and money may have their allure, but they're not strictly prohibited by Christianity. If anything, power and money are encouraged in the right circumstances, where they can be used to better the lives and livelihoods of those in need. So that, that really only leaves one logical candidate. One logical candidate that does apply to a lot of, I guess you could say, moral regulation, that being sex. Sexual morality is by far the most divisive issue. Probably the most divisive issue in the entire world. We, we've seen it all throughout society. Everything from sexual deviations to the, this new push to deconstruct the very fundamentals of gender identity. Again, those are aspects of humanity that were created by God, established when God created Adam and Eve. And as you've probably heard other people point out, what is the very first thing what is the very first thing that is declared about any human being that is born into this world? When someone's born, what's the first thing that's said? Either it's a boy or it's a girl. Essentially, the defining moment of, of, of your identity, if you will, when you are born is the declaration of your genetic biological sex. But with sexual morality on the table, well, of course, we could spend months just going over the divergent levels of deviancy that plague the human race. And don't get me wrong, we're all susceptible. Don't think that the people making these irrational claims in order to justify acting on their sexual desires makes them uncommon. In fact, considering that Jesus said that to look at a woman with lust is the same as committing adultery in your heart, that, com that condemns just about everybody. Right? That, that, that pretty much condemns us all. Because human beings make judgments on others based solely on appearances, I would say 99% of the time. And it only takes one look at someone you find attractive to have your mind wander. Now we know that the tongue may be the most overtly dangerous member of, of the human body, as, as James explained, starting massive fires in our lives from the tiniest of sparks, the smallest of verbal missteps, if you will. But the mind, the mind is full of evil imaginations. And let's face it, we tend to think, we tend to think of our minds as a private space, exclusive to everyone but me. There's that word again, right? Exclusivity. Even how we perceive our own faculties is exclusive. But our minds are open books before God. So the next time someone levies the claim against Christianity that it's just too intolerant or too exclusive for their tastes, just ask them one question. What is it exactly that you want to keep in your life that Christianity would prohibit? Now, you probably won't get an answer, at least not a straight one. But if they actually think about what their argument is saying, they'll have to recognize, they'll have to deal with this problem that they're going about this thing in all the wrong ways. Because if they're going to argue against Christianity, 
and they're gonna make a claim like, well, Christianity is too exclusive. Their own worldview is in and of itself exclusive. But that's all for today, folks. And thanks again for tuning in. As always, if you want to hear more of this program, then uh, don't forget to follow the podcast. Give it high ratings wherever possible. I don't, I don't think Spotify or Google Podcast has a rating system. I could be wrong. I'm still new to all of this, but one thing I do know for sure is that if you enjoy the content, spread the word to your family, your friends, blast it on social media, We can spread this content even further so that as many people as possible can get the same kind of benefits from it that you have. And as always, stay strong, keep the faith, and seek the truth in all things. Until next time, friends. God bless.